people that can really say there's no God like Jehovah because we are the family of God he's the one that dwells with his family amen if there's anyone that knows the father it's the son the sons and daughters that know their heavenly father amen all those flirters out there can say what they want we know there's no God like Jehovah Amen. Amen. He certainly is wonderful, isn't he? Amen. We sure love the service this morning. Thank you, Brother Red. That meant a lot to me. And I just, I, I, this morning at about 7.30, God gave me a direction. And then I understood it sitting in the service this morning. So I thought, well, maybe you just want to come and finish. No? All right. But uh, amen. Each of us has our place, I suppose. So we thank the Lord for his word. So we pray in the back office, you know, if we just need to learn how to step into it and how to step out. Once you're in the Word, it's eternal. It's the eternal Word of God. You just can go anywhere, but you just learn how to step into it and how to step out of it at the right time. But we just thank the Lord. Amen. Thank you, you musicians. I don't mean to end it abruptly, but if we don't start now, we'll never stop. So, amen. Amen. I want to welcome each one of you here to the service. So good to be here. I just was so enjoying it. I walked in the door and just to hear all the voices singing, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, my. Just a little taste of heaven. Just a little taste of what it'll be like when we get over there and choirs of angels and they'll step aside for a little bride that can stand up and sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. We'll be able to magnify the Lord and we are able to magnify the Lord in a way angels don't understand. Because they don't understand what it's like to be redeemed. To be hopelessly lost, but one to step in and take your place. My, what a gracious God we serve. Amen. Let's take our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to speak a small subject tonight. Maybe it's saying it's smaller than it really is. But in, in a, as a title, I would take it a, a good conscience. A good conscience. And uh, maybe before we read, we just approach the Lord one more time. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are here, Father. We know this not because of the working up, Lord, and not because we could sing and praise and how good it is to sing and to praise your name. But, Lord, because you come where you're invited, and we've invited you, Lord. Furthermore, you come wherever two or three are gathered in your name. And we've come here not just gathered in anybody's name, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, Father, you would be the unseen guest, Lord. But, Father, may it not just be unseen, but, Lord, may you come and make yourself known. Reveal your word to the hearts of those that would believe. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for what you've done for us, Lord. We're thankful for the truth that has set us free. And he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So, Father, we thank you for that, Lord. We don't have to go back tomorrow to some weary life of bondage. But, Father, we know this freedom is everlasting to everlasting. 
Father, we love you. We commit the word to you tonight. May you just come and reveal it to those who would receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, very familiar scripture to us all. We'll just start here. I think we'll actually start from verse uh, 22. Brother Danny. Amen. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Amen. Let's turn over to one more place before you take your seats. That's the book of Titus, Titus chapter 1. Those of you that are married, you'll be relieved to know I'm not going to spend any time on the natural of husbands and wives, but uh, we'll just... Take it on the spiritual side of it. As Paul said, I speak to you a great mystery. It's speaking of Christ in the church. But uh, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 15, you know, I'll say this in defense before I get started of Brother Maxwell who said, if I ever get on the subject of husband and wives, I should ask the congregation to pray for me, right? Most of the ministering in the Bible on husbands and wives is done by Paul, who was single. Amen. Amen. <laughs> there you go, Brother Max. Titus chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving... Is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Oh my, may the Lord have His blessing to the Word. You may have your seats. We'll take and we'll start in, in, in Titus here. I read Ephesians really is, is a background and we'll come back around to it as well. Because it speaks of Christ and his church. How Christ is the head and the body, the wife, needs to be subject to the head. But now it swings around in Titus as Paul writing again is, is instructing Titus and talking about certain men even ones that would be unruly and, and vain talkers, the scripture said, and deceivers. Specifically, he points out those are the circumcisions, ones that begin to sow their own seeds. But he speaks and says, unto the pure, all things are pure. Unto the pure, that's the way they look at things. That's the way, that's what they feed on. That's what they're into. That's what, that, that's what their, their interests are because there's something in them that is pure and is hungering and thirsting after something that is pure to feed it. A dove, when a dove is a pure animal, it doesn't go out searching after any kind of ill thing. That's why Noah, we know, would send out a dove after he sent out the raven or the crow and he sent it out. It, it liked the old carrion. It liked the old... Uh, rotting flesh. It liked all those things, so it stayed out there. But then he said, I'll send out a dove. It couldn't eat on the same things. It was a pure animal. It needed something pure to feed on in order to, to satisfy its hunger because those that are pure to them that are pure, all things are pure. But it says to them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God. In other words, these aren't 
talking about men who look out there and, and admit themselves to be reprobate, but rather men that profess that they know God, profess that they know what they're talking about, profess that they have some sort of revelation of who God is. But God's, but Paul begins to speak in here and saying, but they're not because they don't believe the present truth for their day. Because they are unbelieving and defiled by the, 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 the thoughts of the devil creeping into their revelations, really, that they become unpleasant and abominable to God. That God cannot work with them having a defiled mind and a defiled conscience. God can't use them, though they profess they know God to him their actions are abominable they're disobedient even and they're reprobate that's quite a picture to paint that there would be men like that wolves in sheep's clothing that would profess to be a sheep profess to be a leader profess to be something but really he's saying that they've disbelieved the word for their day and in that God is not able to use them any longer but if you go back with me just a couple pages we'll take first Timothy into it as for a background first Timothy chapter 4 in verse 1, he begins to talk about a conscience of, of these sort of man. He says, now the Spirit, 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, now notice he's not saying, I, Paul, think at some point in time. The Spirit speaks expressly that there will come a time in the latter times that there some shall depart from the faith. In other words, they follow the faith for a season of time. They followed after the truth for a season of time and they've been believers to some degree for a season of time but there will come a time when they fall away. There will come a time when they shall depart from the faith giving heed to what? Seducing spirits. It's not that they willingly walk away and say I want nothing to do with the truth anymore but something has seduced them. In order to seduce something, it's not something that takes place like that. It is a gradual process of seduction as the serpent seduced Eve in the Garden of Eden. I don't believe it was one conversation where she just said, oh yeah, sure God said that, but you need to eat of it. You'll be like us. And Eve goes, oh yeah, that's great. No, you're missing what's between the lines when the serpent had to talk with her and gain confidence so that when he would speak of doing something that she knew was wrong, she went along with it anyways because she trusted the individual it was coming from. A seducing spirit. But now that's the way it is. He said they'll give way to seducing spirits and doctrines of the devil. Yeah, the devil's got doctrines too. All doctrine's good. No, all scripture is good. It's given by inspiration. It's good for doctrine. It's good for reproof. It's inspired. But there's doctrines formed out of Scripture that's of the devil. That's just the way he operates because he's smart. He knows there's elect that are predestinated that aren't going to just fall away at someone coming with some kind of creed saying that the Pope can intercede between God and man and all the elect go, oh really? I didn't think about that. No, that's not a foolishness to us. We know those things are foolishness. We're not looking at things. Well, maybe we need. No, we don't need that. But rather uh, something taken right out of the same word of God to make it seem as though it was real. Doctrines of the devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. How is, can their conscience be seared with a hot iron? Once again, nobody walks up and says, you know what? I want to feel nothing anymore. Just brand me. Just sear my conscience. Let it all be gone. Just let it so nothing bothers me anymore. I just want to be. No, nobody walks that way. But it's a slow process of over time. They begin to flirt with and feed on the wrong things. Until those things, until you feed so low, till something that's halfway up the hill doesn't seem so bad. I'm going to say it very simply. Like if I were to tell you, I can hang off the top rafter. I could hang off there for three hours and you say, no, there's no way, that's dangerous, you'll fall and break your arms. But I tell you it over and over and over until you finally believe, you know what, I think he might be able to, but I'm not so sure. But then I say, but I'm going to hang off that. He says, yeah, yeah, that's no problem, he could probably do that. No, that's a bad idea too. But because I told you I was going to hang up there, now it doesn't seem so bad, I'm just hanging over here just a few feet off the ground. Even though that's really a bad idea too, you see what I'm getting at. 
You see, because you're feeding on something, even spiritually speaking, you begin to feed on something. And I, I'm trying not to use specifics so nobody tries to point out and say, well, he's preaching about this over here. But you understand where I'm going with it. You begin to feed on something that's so evil and so ill that halfway there just doesn't seem so wrong anymore. That your conscience begins to become seared slowly. It begins to heat up. And if you sear something, it just to sear something is to actually cauterize it. If you look up the word to sear is to cauterize. To cauterize a wound, is, it's, it's a medical practice or technique of burning a part of the body to remove or to close off a part of it. It destroys some tissue in an attempt to mitigate bleeding and damage, remove an undesired growth, or minimize other potential medical harm, such as infections when antibiotics are unavailable. So in other words, it's there to stop the blood from flowing. You can cauterize a wound to stop the blood from flowing. You can cauterize it so bad that now all of a sudden you've destroyed some of the tissue. You've literally destroyed some of your own self in cauterizing a wound. But it's the same way in the spirit realm when you, when you cauterize or you sear a conscience with a hot iron. It destroys a part of you. It destroys a part of who you really are and not really that. But also it stops the blood from flowing in that area. Oh my, we need the blood of Jesus over us. We need the blood of Jesus over our affections. We need it over our, our imaginations. We need it over our, our conscience. We need it over our reasonings. We need it over our memory. I want the blood of Jesus to cover it over. I want all of my spirit to be under his blood. I don't want to sear it and say, but the blood can't come here. Because I've set this aside to say, oh, I'm stronger than this. I can handle any kind of bad thing. I can handle any kind of something because I'm a strong Christian. It doesn't matter how strong of a Christian you are. When you start feeding on the wrong things, you begin to kill your own conscience. There are men, in other words, who have totally stopped the blood of Jesus from washing their conscience clean. In doing so, they give heed to seducing spirits, to doctrines of the devil, because suddenly it doesn't seem so wrong. Because they've given that over as soon as you get out from under the blood of Jesus. You cannot sin until first you reject the word. Till first you step out from under the blood of Jesus and reject the word of God for your day. You cannot commit sin. But as soon as you step out from that, now you can commit something. Now you can do something. It's the same way with a conscience when as soon as you say, I don't want the blood of Jesus over this because I can handle this myself and it's not really that bad. I don't really think it's that much against the word of God. You're saying, I don't need the blood of Jesus to cover this over. Maybe it's not your average Sunday night, but... Now you understand, Brother Ray, why I said that sounds good. We'll just get rid of this and preach that other thing tonight. We were talking about the story Brother Mark told in his prayer, how a tree, you know, and planted and by the rivers of water. I thought, my, that's wonderful. I'd love to just preach that, you know. <laughs> sometimes there's services you enjoy preaching. Sometimes there's services you don't. And sometimes there's services you just say, Lord, have your way. And really, that's all the services. But, you know... When you stop being subject to the word. Let's continue on in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 2 says, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. What do they begin doing? Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving to them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused it is re if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Now we apply this to why we pray over our food, but also it applies beyond that. As the scripture is multifaceted, because he's not just talking about these men who had their scripture, who had their conscience seared. All they're going to do is forbid you to marry. All they're going to do is command you to not eat certain things. No, that's not what he's saying. 
He's saying this is what the, 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 the types of doctrines they begin to teach. Things that are not found in the Word of God that they begin to take the Word and they begin to twist it around in order to, to maneuver their own will and their own way to bring it about for their own benefit perhaps or perhaps because it's just a spirit that's driving them and they really think they're right. Because that's doctrines of the devils when they think, well, I see it in the Word, therefore it's right. But if it doesn't run from Genesis to Revelation, it doesn't fit. That's why last a couple weeks ago I had to preach Jephthah the way I had to preach him because it had to fit through the Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It couldn't just be a standalone Scripture because God doesn't contradict himself. That's why Brother Branham had to wait so long before he could preach marriage and divorce. Because he had to know, it had to fit from Genesis to Revelation. He couldn't undo one scripture. He couldn't leave one loose end to tie up. Because it had to fit in there. It had to go. But oh, that's a subject that the devil loves to get into. He loves to get into it because oh, it's okay in this and it's okay in that. You can twist the scripture to fit your own little way. Instead of taking the word the way it is. Say, Lord, I need the blood of Jesus all over my life. Not to look at the world and say, well, you know, they, I'll just take an extreme example where they say, well, the world, the divorce rates are so high, so once in a while, it's not so bad in the message. No, that's not the way it is. We don't want to have our conscience seared by feeding on those things. We don't want to have our conscience seared, let me say it this way, by feeding on the fact, well, out in the world, there's so many thousands dead from COVID. There's so many of this dead, and there's so many of that dead, and so many of this. So once in a while, it's okay. No, we serve an all-powerful God. The great physician that now is here, the blood of Jesus is greater than all sickness, all sin. We don't have to take no for an answer. I so appreciated Brother Tim Pruitt's testimony saying we've claimed victory from the very beginning. Hallelujah. We don't have to accept and say, but this is, this is okay. We're okay with a little bit of sin. We're okay with a little bit of that. We're okay with a little bit of sickness. No, we're not. We're okay with 100% the Word of God. Oh, Mother Branham would pray in the message, Abraham, 1961. This is praying. He said, may the Holy Spirit purge our lives. And he specifically points out, and our conscience, that this Word which we're fixing to bring forth might come forth anointed by the Spirit. See what happens when your conscience becomes so clouded over, becomes so seared with the, with the things of the world. Pretty soon when God begins to move, you start missing it. Because to you it just doesn't mean all that much. So, oh, but I know I'm born again. Oh, I know I got the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about your spirit realm. When you get so bound up with the things of the world and so bound up by feeding on wrong things that when the right comes your way, Oh my. You know, I, I, I don't mind the fact when someone gets a little bit, I'll say offended or a little bit, um, yeah, offended when they read the, the Old Testament and there's so much killings going on. So much this one had to be killed and that one had to be killed. Don't spare the wife. Don't spare the women. Don't spare the children. And someone says, man, why do they have to do that? I don't mind when someone asks those questions. You know why? Because that means they're not feeding on the things of the world. That they're out there playing some kind of video game where they're killing everybody. And then all of a sudden they're reading the Bible thinking, that ain't so bad. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I just killed 300 people in a game. What's this to me? No. Let our conscience be so tender. Say, Lord, there had to be a purpose behind it. Not that it's just God's out there slaying everybody he wants, but there had to be a purpose behind it, that the penalty for sin was death. And there was adequate, adequate warning before judgment. Brother Branham says, and by faith, Moses, 1958, he says, like Naomi said to Ruth, said, your ways, Ruth said to Naomi, your ways be my ways. My ways be your ways. Where you live, I'll live. Where you go, I'll go. Your God, you'll be my God. The God that you serve, I'll serve that God. Take the choice. He says, though it pull the skin off your conscience. 
What's happening? When you cauterize something, if you take that same cauterized skin and you rip it off, it's a fresh wound now. Where he says, no matter what it takes, no matter what you've been through, no matter how seared your conscience is, let it rip the skin off afresh. Let this message, let this word of God rip it afresh to where it becomes tender once again. And it's fresh again when you're reading it. Like David prayed, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Oh my. That here was a man that had committed adultery with another man's wife and had that man killed. And then, then, and then gone about and, and judged himself through a parable. Thinking it's not so bad to judge the man. Oh, he ought to be. That's nothing. Well, because his conscience now was seared, but when it was pointed out to him, well, that's you, David. It was like ripping it right off afresh. Oh, it hurts. It's painful. Why? Because now you begin to see, begin to see the error of his ways. He says, oh, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. What is it? Something's happened in my spirit where I failed to see the grace. I failed to see the hand of God. He says, let it just pull the very skin off your conscience of thinking that you're somebody. Skin yourself down. Take the way with the Lord's despised few and stay loyal on the field of service and at your post of duty. Oh, hallelujah. Sometimes we need those services. So, Lord, skin me down. Take all the, the times where I think I'm somebody. Rip it off of me, Lord. Let me recognize it's only by your spirit, only by your grace, only by your power. It ain't got nothing to do with me or my ability. Let my conscience, let the filter of my conscience be through the word. Not my own merit to say, well, God, I did this and that person. He's failing according to what I think. That's my conscience. Rip it down, Lord. Make the word of God fresh to me again. Says he will change. In Mary's belief, he will change the course of your life tonight if you will just take him at his word. If you are a sinner, he will straighten that crooked life of yours out. If you're vile and immoral, he will make you as pure as a lily if you'll just take him at his word. The vile conscience of sin that makes you look at immoral things. Oh, that's what he calls it, the vile conscience of sin that thinks it's not so bad to look at that. A man that's addicted to pornography doesn't think anything bad about looking with a woman in skimpy dresses. Why? Because that's not so bad. I've seen a lot worse. But he says, listen, that vile conscience that'll let you look at those things, just take God at his word. Use the name of the Lord in vain. Have temper enough to fight a buzzsaw. He'll change that course of life in you and make you a new creature in his son, Christ Jesus, if you just take him at his word. Hallelujah. We don't need to add anything to ourselves. We don't need to add a working up. We don't need to add a great big altar call. Those things are wonderful, but we need to take God at his word and say, Lord, because you said so. It's got to come down the line of free moral agency. You yourself, not somebody telling you what to do, but you yourself. Let the word of God, you don't come because your mother was a good woman. Praise God, this is where Brother Head ended this morning. You don't come because your mother was a good woman. You don't come because you're a good neighbor. You come because God calls you to come. You accept him on the basis of his word, and the word is what means everything. If you could get everything out of the way, all conscience, all senses, and let God come in, and the word will produce just exactly. Oh my, if we could just get our own seared consciences out of the way. Say, God, take my conscience, take my thoughts, take my affections, take my own flesh. Don't let me look at it. God sent this message to those who would believe, not to those who could figure it out, to those who could chronologically put it all in order, but it was to those who would receive it into their hearts and say, yes, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Oh, hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Go to Hebrews chapter 9 with me. If you want to take God at his word, here's some of the word to take him at. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 8. It says the Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of holies was not yet made manifest. Well, as the first tabernacle was yet standing. It's talking about an exodus and the first tabernacle and how the holiest of holies it wasn't made, made it wasn't a may wait into it. The high priest could only go in once a year, we know how it is. It says in verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So in other words, what's he saying? He's saying he could offer these gifts and sacrifices and go away perfectly forgiven, yet still having a conscience of sin. Forgiven, but not yet justified because it was not as though he didn't do it in the first place, though God forgave him because that blood of bulls and goats was not an equal payment. But God took it as a substitute for that person's life because the penalty of sin is death. But he says that it could not make his conscience perfect, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ. Hallelujah. It's like when Brother Madden preaches that service, but God who is rich in mercy. By this great love wherewith he loved us. Oh my, there was such a way laid out for them, such a life even of oppression. They had to come and they had forgiveness from that, but they could not go away with a purged, clean conscience. They couldn't go away that way. He says, but Christ, being common high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this building neither by the blood of bulls and of calves but of his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us oh I love that not just the everlasting redemption but eternal in other words the way it was at the beginning it's redemption back to the original when I was once one with Christ I'm now one with him again eternal redemption it didn't start then (laughs) hallelujah it didn't just start at the cross It wasn't just that day at the cross, all of a sudden, redemption. Oh, this is something new. No, it was eternal. Those that were in him at the beginning are now in him at the end. Oh, my. Talk about better things. This was not a substitute. This was not God coming down in a garden slaying a lamb. This was pleasing God to beat his own son. To bruise him, to whip him, to have him mocked, to have him scourged. All of it for a purpose. Because before the foundation of the world, he knew. He knew the sin. He knew the iniquity. He knew the, 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 the uh, anxiety and the depression and all the things that we would go through. And he said, they're going to need peace. They're going to need healing. They're going to need a savior. So I'm going to have to come down myself and provide all of these things. Oh, praise be to God. It was eternal redemption. Oh, the eternal thoughts of God. I was talking with the brother. I didn't get into it the last time when I ministered, so I'll just drop it in here. It was amazing to me. Jephthah, you know, he did not sacrifice his daughter because it says in, in Jeremiah, talks about where God says, it's never entered into my mind that you would do these sins. Yet he told Abraham, go sacrifice Isaac. God's thoughts are so specific. Down to the moment that he could tell someone to go sacrifice his son and say, it never entered into my mind that he would kill his son. Because God knew he would provide a lamb. 
knew there was going to be a lamb there. And Abraham was a spiritual man enough with enough revelation to catch that and say, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Hallelujah. But if the blood, verse 13, of bulls and of goats and the ashes of it have for sprinkling, sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth the, the, to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hallelujah. How much more? This goes so much deeper to Hebrews 13 where he finally gets to it where he says the word of God. I think it's Hebrews 13, maybe it's 12. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing asunder the soul and the spirit. The marrow and joint. Getting right down beyond where, where this blood of bulls and goats could go. That could sanctify the flesh. But he says, this is going right down to give you a pure conscience. This could go right down and rip that searing right off afresh. And let you start right over again. Jump over to Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come. And not the very image of the things. Hallelujah. In other words, it wasn't the reality. It was the shadow of what was coming. And he says, And can never with those sacrifices which were offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. But then would they not have ceased to be offered? No, they just kept offering them over and over. But there came a time. Because if the worshiper once purged should have no more conscience of sins. In other words, there was coming and there is now a sacrifice that has been made that once this one's been offered. When was it offered? Before the foundation of the world. (laughs) Manifested 2,000 years ago in this space called time. Sorry. I get so lost in that and then. I feel like you could just preach a whole service on that. But I thank God I'm preaching to believers. Amen. 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 Ones that know, yes, he was slain before the foundation. Yes, my name was written on the Lands Book of Life before the foundation of the world. So we're talking about it with my wife on the way here. If we don't have the right name here, the right name's written there. Right. Yeah. Hallelujah. He got the right name there. He didn't put it in a seed based on the name. He didn't come to your parents and say, oh, no, that's not the name. Get it to the next person. No, no. It doesn't matter the mistake if your parents made a mistake in naming you. He still foresaw you, foresaw you, and predestinated you. Hallelujah. Anyways, way off topic on that one. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2. Because the worshiper once purged should have no more conscience of sin. In other words, it can be a total change. A total rearrangement. Brother Bannon would take this. I could put the slides up there. Where now the Holy Spirit would begin to come down into your spirit realm. What does it do? It doesn't give you like a different spirit. No, but it renews your spirit. Gives you a new spirit. Renewed spirit. And then it comes down into your soul. And it seals you to the day of your redemption. But now, in that giving you a new spirit, it changes that conscience. It's a sanctification. It's a cleaned, cleansed Set aside for service. It's now a clean glass. Like Brother Brown takes it, right? When you pick that glass up, you justify that glass out of the mud pit. You've justified it, but you don't just take it, fill it, start drinking. You don't know what's in that glass, but you clean it out. You clean it out, you sanctify it. Now there's no more conscience of the dirt that was once in it. It's clean. You don't look at it and say, well, I don't know if I want to drink from that glass because at one point in time that glass was out there in the yard. No, because you cleaned it now. And you set it in a shelf for a purpose. It's to be used in service. Amen. Amen. So now you see that it's not that there's a conscience of well where that came from. No, it's for a purpose. There's no more conscience of it. The conscience is that that one day will be used. Now if you jump down with me to verse 10. 
Forgive me for jumping through it, but I don't want to hold you here all night, believe it or not. Chapter 10, verse 10. It says, by the which, <clears throat> by the which will we, will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once for all. And jump down again to verse 15. I don't need to preach on that. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he hath said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. Think about it. This isn't saith Paul. This isn't saith someone else. This is saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Now think about it. He's that's, that's dual faceted. He says, I'll put it in their heart. I will give them a new birth. I will give them my own spirit. But now also in their minds, I will write my, my precepts. I will write my word, my laws upon their minds. In other words, their conscience will be my conscience. He says, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. He says, now... Where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Hallelujah. We don't need to keep offering and offering and offering because once it's remitted, it's gone. And there was one sacrifice for all if we can just accept it. My, just the other day, I worked with a new fellow. I had to, it was, we, we began talking about it and talking about repentance. With him, I said, but real repentance is godly soil for sin and turning away from it. He kind of just looked at me funny, you know. Having never heard that before. And I said, well, yeah. I said, you know, a lot, a lot of people, they think repentance is just saying, I'm sorry, you're moving on. I said, but if you're really sorry for something you did, let's just say you stole $5 from somebody. If you were really sorry for stealing that $5, you would go back and make it right. That's godly sorrow for sin. And then turn away from it, which is to say, don't do it anymore. So in other words, if you're really sorry for something, you'll do everything you can to make it right, to, wrong the, to right the wrong, to, to fix the hurt, and then to turn away from it and say, Lord, don't ever let me hurt someone like that again. Don't ever let me do that again. It made it a lot more serious even for the, the, the man that I was working with. He said, oh, that really puts a whole other level on it. Say, yeah. It's not just one day you get to your deathbed and say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Take me into heaven. If that works for you, praise the Lord. But I don't want to take that way. I'd rather be sure. In verse 15, verse 16, verse 17, where are we? 19, there we go. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We don't want to leave the blood off any part of us to say, no, this is why it's okay. I'll just leave this out. No, no, Lord, if I'm going to enter in at all, I need the blood of Jesus over everything, every facet of my life. It says, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us. Who consecrated it? He did. He consecrated it for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. That's a lot in a statement right there. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Once again, devil faceted. Well, now he's talking having your heart and your soul sprinkled from an evil conscience because the mind, but the man would take it in a thinking man's filter. The mind, it's a filter that now Satan begins to come and put things through. But also, as the preaching of the word is going through, you are filtering it right now in your conscience. You're filtering in your spirit and you're saying, is that right or is that wrong? Is that what Brother Branham said? I'm not sure. Was it, oh, yeah, that, no, that agrees with me. Amen. Something says to me says amen. So I'll take that and feed it in. Right? You're doing that right now subconsciously whether you realize it or not. But that's exactly what's happening now. But what, what he's saying, he says, let your conscience be under the blood. So that way, that which is under the blood, in other words, the filter becomes the word of God or the blood of Jesus where now it passes through that. And as soon as it passes through that, how is that even possible? He says it's possible by saying, I, the Lord, will put my law into their hearts and in their minds will I write it. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. I trust you're following me there. It says, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's go back to Isaiah. Oh my, I'm out of time. Isaiah chapter 64. 
It was right down in our day in Isaiah. Isaiah 64 and verse 5. Isaiah begins to write on inspiration. He says, Thou meetest him with rejoicing and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In, who, in those in, in continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. What's he saying? Our, our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. But the Ram would take that and say, he says, well, he doesn't even recognize our works to say, oh, well, you've done this and you've done that. You're righteous. No, he looks at it and he recognizes the blood. Amen. He sees the blood of Jesus. And that's what he sees alone. And under that, the only way you can commit evil works is to get out from under the blood. Therefore, you cannot say, my heart is pure, but I can do unclean things. No, you can't because if your heart is pure under the blood, those things are vile to you. Because to them that are pure, all things are pure. And to them that are, un that are defiled and that are unbelieving, oh my, they have no problem with these things. Why? Because they don't believe in the real truth. Now go over to chapter 66. And verse 1 says, For thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool, which is the house that ye, which, where is the house that ye build it unto me? And where is the place of my rest? Can we answer that? Right here. Not in this tabernacle, right here, Lord. This is the place of your rest. Because he says, and he answers in the next verse, for all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things, oh, think about it. Where's the place of my rest? All those things hath my hand, the Lord, made. He made the place of his rest. We didn't make it in our own works to say, I got this, I figured out, I'm going to make a house so great for God. No, all I did was say, Lord, let the blood of Jesus wash me. Let the word wash me. Let me be washed by the water of the word so that I could be a wife subject to my husband. So that he could come down one day and say, all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Yeah. Hallelujah. Not the one that get up and say, well, I take the word and I'm going to tell you how it is. No, but the ones that tremble and handle it fearfully and say, God, this is life. And this is, this is life to me. This is everything I need. I don't want to misuse it. I don't want to mislead anybody with it. It's real. Yeah. Hallelujah. He, the bridegroom, took away your shame. Put it in the sea of forgetfulness by the washing of the water, by the word and the blood of life. That's what the Bible said. Your first husband that you were married to the world, the anointed bridegroom which foreordained you by the washing of the water of the word. See, you are standing completely justified as though you never did it in the beginning. He said, this is my message. This is the message in Visible Union 1965. He said, this is my message to the church now. He says, you are standing, you're standing on God's word and with God's word saying, amen. Every jot, every tittle. In other words, every letter, every point of punctuation, it's there for a reason. Amen. Let me show that to you. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. This just struck me as we were studying the message, Thinking Man's Filter. Brother Bradham takes his text in Thinking Man's Filter. He takes it from verse 22 where I started. But if you look in your Bible, you'll notice if you have a broken up Bible, the break is between 20 and 21. But if you look at the punctuation, at the end of 20, there's a semicolon. At the end of 21, there's a period. In other words, man put in there a little break that said this is a different subject. 
But God so watched over it when he had it written in English. He put the right punctuation in so that there was a period at the right place so his prophet picked it up in the last day and he didn't start at verse 21. He started at verse 22 right after the period. See how perfect it is. Every jot, every tittle, every little punctuation, every little letter, it's just so perfectly for a reason. But the bride of Christ believes it just that way. There you are standing. I'm trying to tell you to pull away from the shocks. Get out where in the wheat now where you can ripen the presence of the S-O-N. I hear the coming of the combine. Oh, you're standing complete, justified like you never did in the first place. Hallelujah. So in other words, what's he saying? If he justified you, Brother Max, he sanctified you. If he sanctified you, he has already glorified you. It's not, well, I'm waiting for something else. I'm waiting for another experience. I need another experience. I need to speak in tongues. I need to have some great something, something. No, if he justified you, he's already put you on the right path. So the combines are coming. Just stay in the presence of the sun. You will ripen. I'm just going to jump down to the end for the sake of time. It was just so striking to me. If you wanted to turn with me, you don't have to. But Acts chapter 23, if you just put it up on the screen, Acts chapter 23, Paul is brought before the council and he begins to be tried there. And in verse 1, Acts chapter 23, in verse 1, Paul writes, it says, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Here's a man of God that's now coming down to the head and he says, I've lived before God with a good conscience. I wasn't seared by something out there laughing at some smutty jokes and something, something. No, I was living before God with a good conscience. I did what I did because God told me to do it. And the next verse said, And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Now here's a duel of two consciences. Here's a man that says, I did what I did out of a good conscience. And here's another man that says, it can't be. Because my conscience says that's wrong. So smite him on the mouth. But now if you go back, turn back to John chapter 8. These are some of the same Pharisees that were, I'm sure were there at Paul's, at Paul's uh, trial. And in John chapter 8, and verse, uh, we'll start at verse Six, it says this, they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him, right? This is where they brought the woman caught in the act of adultery to him and said, you know, this is what the law says, we need to stone her. And then Jesus, though, stooped down and with his finger wrote in the ground as though he heard them not. Hallelujah. But when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted on their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. So here's some of these Pharisees that brought this woman to him. They had some semblance of a conscience. Because as Jesus begins to tell them, let him without sin cast the first stone, he just keeps riding in the sand. And they begin to be pricked by their own conscience. They begin to walk away and realize, oh yeah, I done wrong. Time for me to go. And the next one, and the next one, all the way down to the youngest that maybe hadn't done as much sin, and now he's thinking, oh yeah, I guess there is a few things. I better get out of here too. But now you fast forward. That was the word for their day. Jesus. Preaching to them, but they just kept rejecting it. They kept rejecting it. They kept rejecting it. Paul, again, the word for that day, began to preach the gospel. They kept rejecting it, kept rejecting it. Till now, come down to Paul's trial, where Paul says, I with a good conscience. And they said, smite the man. Their conscience was seared so bad, they didn't know right from wrong. How did their conscience become seared? Because they'd slowly rejected the word for their day. Oh my, God help us in the message that we don't slowly sear our consciences by the, 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 the doctrines of the devils and by, by the seducing spirits that would come and that would speak and that would say things. And then when the next one comes and says, well, that's not so bad. Oh, well, that's not so bad. Oh, this ain't so bad. No, God help us. 
to stay pure and holy under the blood of Jesus, that there would be a delicacy to our conscience that we would know right from wrong, good from evil, darkness from light. They slowly rejected it till it was enough to slap the message for their day, the messenger for their day right in the face. We've got enough people today around the message that their conscience has become so seared till they'll slap the messenger right in the face. They'll slap the message right in the face because they say this can't be or that can't be or this can't or that can't when just a few short years ago they would have died for it. Why? Their conscience became seared. How? Because they begin feeding on the wrong things. They begin feeding on something that didn't seem so bad until it just slipped and slipped and slipped until the truth was a far cry. Like Brother Branham used to sing that old song, or he'd recite it, I think. We let down the bars. We let down the bars. All the sheep got out, but how did the goats get in? He let down the bars. Nobody takes the bars and just pulls them down and says, go free. No, it's just slowly. They don't need to be this high. Nobody's gotten out yet. We can let it down a little more. No one's sinned yet. We can lower it a little bit more. No one's saying, no, we can lower it a little bit more now. Till finally, they're so far in the ground, no one can see them anymore. God help us. That we would live our lives under the blood of Jesus Christ. Where no sin can enter there. No sickness can enter there. Oh my. If the musicians would come. The Branham says the thinking man's filter is the waters of separation. It's the purification from sin, which is the word of God. And the thinking man, the man that knows he's got to stand before God, knows he's got to answer for every word of the Bible, it'll satisfy that taste that's in your heart. To him that's pure, all things are pure. He says in another place, hearing, recognizing, acting on the word, he says in that spirit of that one birth, is still represented in the world today. It's coming to a head now. The spiritual believer and the carnal man, carnal believer, no one could say that what they wasn't both religious. They were. They didn't say that one served an idol, the other one God. They were both servants of God. Think about it. I'll say this in just in the last closing statements where now he's saying everything is coming up to a head. That one birth is still representing the world. He's saying, listen, the capstone has come down. The head has come down. There has to be a body to fit the head. There has to be something for it to come down on too. It's not just free floating, but there's something that is subject to it. Because when Brother Branham was here, it was the age of the eyes. There was the vision, the, 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 the prophet was the eyes, the seer that he saw. But now the only thing after that, which is where we are now, is the intelligence. That it's Christ himself telling the body what to do. No wonder she knows what he wants done with the word. Because it's not her intelligence. It's him. Jesus Christ in her body, a many-membered body, the capstone come down. That's why you see Satan and the world around us manifesting the way it is to be such a mass confusion and people against people and division, all these things. Why? Because it's Satan's Eden. He's the author of confusion. And as the, the headstone from that, I'll say, is coming up. There's a body there that fits it. When the man of sin is revealed, there's going to be something there to follow it. Oh my, a law of contrast, a good and an evil, and we need God, God's conscience to know the right from the wrong. Let's stand to our feet. Keep me true, Lord Jesus. Keep me true. There's a race that I must run. There's a victory to be run. There's things we have to do, but Lord, it's in your heart, your hands. You keep me true, Lord. 
Let's sing that together. Keep me true, Lord Jesus. Keep me true. Keep me true, Lord Jesus. Keep me true. together as I mentioned about halfway through maybe tonight's not your average Sunday night certainly not what I'd hoped the way I'd hoped it would go or something like that but I believe the Lord's here to say let it just be a nudge in the right direction say be careful Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour if you ever watch how a predator goes about, he doesn't attack the herd. He waits for one to straggle off. One to get weak in the back. One to get weak off to the side, and he attacks that one. Say, Lord, keep me true. Keep me in the pack. Keep me with the word of God. Keep me in the middle of the road. I see there's ones that are falling off to the right. There's ones that are falling off to the left. Don't let me go either way, Lord. Let me stay with the word of God. And that alone that we know your message today pointed back to you, Jesus. And it's 100% true. Heavenly Father. Lord, we love you. Lord, there's many things said tonight how we're so thankful for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin, Lord Jesus. It covers the multitude of sin, Lord, that in that day on the cross, you paid for our healing, Lord. You paid for our peace, oh God. The, our iniquities, Lord Jesus, you bore them upon yourself. Father, how unworthy we are. Yet we cast ourselves down at your feet to say thank you, Lord Jesus. But Father, not only that, but keep us, Lord. As you taught us to pray in the book of Matthew, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, don't let us walk by the ways of evil to see how close we can get to the fire. But Lord, help us to run into the arms of Jesus Christ tonight. Say, Lord, cover me. Let the peace of God cover me over. Lord, cover me when I'm hurting, when I'm down, when I'm broken, Lord Jesus. Don't let me fall behind. Don't let me get stumbled by the ways of the devil. Lord, cover me, Lord Jesus. I need you, Lord. Forgive us our shortcomings, Father. Forgive us our wrongdoings, Lord. Forgive us where we've fallen, oh God. For all have fallen and come short of the glory of God. But Lord, we claim the blood of Jesus once more. Once more, Lord Jesus. Help us, Father. Lord, we love you. We ask that you just go with us, each one. This week, may we ponder on the things we've heard today. The words this morning. Lord, how good it was to be in the house of the Lord. Lord, even this evening, how good it was to be in your presence once more. Father, may you be pleased with the lives that we'd live. Lord, may, we look, may you look upon us as a virtuous bride. One that you could present to yourself, Lord. Blameless and without spot and without wrinkle, Father. Lord, if there's more trials we got to go through to get there, so be it, Lord. But whatever it takes, Father, don't let one here miss that. Miss that day. Father, we love you. We give ourselves to you now, each one, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Peace of God, cover me. Peace of God, cover me. Oh God.
Yes, Lord. 